following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John 15. We're going to be continuing in John 15, along with our uh, series. And last week, uh, Pastor Colin preached on verse verses 1 through 11, and it was an absolute glorious message. These are some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I feel like th- this is a pinnacle of grace, where God, uh, through Jesus, speaks to us about our relationship with him. And if you haven't heard the sermon, please go to the website. The, the notes are at least there. Something happened to the audio. The audio is not uh, present, unfortunately. But um, please avail yourself of that. And uh, for context, we're going to read verse 6 through 11. And then today's sermon is going to be addressing verses 12 through 17. So um, we're going to read through that. So read with me, if you will, the context. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now verse 12, this is where we begin. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you. So that you will love one another. So before we jump into this, I just want to stop right now and pray once again and commit everything that we do this morning to him and him and his glory. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that you would come this morning and that you would shine the light of your word into our hearts. God, I can do nothing without you. We can do nothing without you. We can't even listen without you. We can't change. We can't obey you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and renew our hearts, build us up, cause us to abide in you, cause us to obey you, cause us to walk in your will. God, we know that whatever we ask in your name, you will do. Lord, we pray this trusting you, trusting that you will bring us to you and your will. God, we pray these things in your precious and your holy name. Amen. Verse 12 and verse 13, we'll see that Christ is repeating some of the things that he said earlier. He says, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I've, I've read this verse multiple times in the context of preaching through this, these passages. And I was so privileged to preach on John 13, uh, a, a number of months ago. And the reason I referenced this passage back then was because in that passage, it says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And how did he love them? He loved them to the end by dying for them and their sins on the cross. They didn't know that then, but they were going to they were going to witness that. And then it goes on in John 13 Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's the distinguishing trait of who they were to be as disciples. If Christ was teaching them anything at all, he was teaching them to love one another in a self-sacrificial way to the point where they were going to start looking like Jesus who loved them to the very end, and even gave his life for them. And we're going to circle back around with this. So I'm going to limit my comments here. And we're going to move on to verse 14 and verse 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Our relationship with Jesus, it appears in verse 14 is contingent on our obedience to Christ. Does that sound right? Our relationship with Jesus is contingent to our obedience? If, if that were the case, then none of us would even have a relationship with Jesus. So what, what does that mean? I asked my wife, I was like, what does that mean? She was like, are you asking me? Because you're preaching, right? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of your own doing, the faith. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Not the result of works, in other words, obedience, so that nobody can boast in his presence that they earned salvation. So what does it mean when it says you are my friends if you do what I command you? He's talking about friendship here. And if we just read over this, we'll miss the fact that he he's talking about intimacy and relationship. A close friendship with Christ. What does that look like? It looks like obedience. And if we miss the obedience piece, we start to miss what his will is for us, which is unity with him. Unity with Christ. That's the whole that was the whole point of last week's sermon. Abiding in Christ, being connected to him through what? Through obedience. This isn't legalism. This is grace. Look at the intimacy. And we'll get to that in just a second. But look at the intimacy um, uh, that, that Christ has for us. In John 15, 4, what we saw last week, abide in me and I in you. We're in Christ. We don't just know him. We're in him. And he is in us. How can you be more intimate? He's not just talking about a friendship here. He's talking about a marriage. Okay? And 
We see in the Bible when it, it uses this language in Ephesians 5, in, in, in Revelation 19 and 21, and even in the Song of Solomon, people have looked at that passage and say he's really talking about Christ and the church. And that's the mystery that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5. In 2 Corinthians 4.10, he says, always caring about the body, the death of the Lord Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. Manifested means what? It means realized. It means brought about. It means actually expressed so that when we walk and we talk people start to see more and more that we look and act like Jesus and when they're in our presence they feel different it, it, it's kind of a strange thing they feel like they've been in the presence of God and that's the Holy Spirit doing that he doesn't go to marriage though in this pre- and right now it's just friendship right when I first met my wife we were friends we were just friends even though after the first uh, conversation on the phone, I was like, I bet you I'm going to marry that woman. But I probably shouldn't say that. I had a little bit of, uh, I had a little bit of social graces there. Amazing. He can't go to marriage yet. He's talking friendship. And they weren't ready to hear that yet. John 16, 12 through 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he gave everything he could give to them that they were ready for at that point. So verse 15, no longer do I call you servants for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. One of the benefits of intimacy with Christ is that he tells you his will. He lets you know. And a lot of times I see people emphasize the mystery of God where we don't know anything. And that's fine because that's all true, right? We don't know exactly how to interpret every prophecy in the Bible through revelation and all that stuff that's, that's glorious and that, that's mis- mysterious. But the emphasis of scripture is that we know his will and that we know him. Why? Because we're his friends. And when you're friends with somebody, what is the first thing you want to do when something significant happens to you or you realize something? You want to run and you want to tell your friend. And that's the way Jesus was with his disciples. When he heard from the Father, he he, he rejoiced in the truth and then he ran and he told his friends. And that's the kind of relationship that we have with God. It's a God, it's, it's a relationship of constant revelation. As you read his word and the Holy Spirit uh, works on you, he teaches you things and then you run and you tell your friends. And it's amazing. You're constantly learning and constantly growing. Amos 3, 7 hints at this when it says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his prophets. It's that emphasis on knowing. Sometimes God will even speak to you specifically. Lord, why am I going through this pain? What do you want me to do next? And you receive a conviction, maybe through a dream, maybe through just a, just a knowing of him and what his will is. It's specific for you. And you know God is calling you into the ministry or calling you to, you, to this job or calling you to this spouse or calling you to some thing in your life. And it's that intimate. And sometimes when we, we look at our lives and we don't see that, we should ask ourselves, is there something more that I'm missing? Because God is beckoning us to ask. Jeremiah 33.3, call on me and I will answer you. What a promise. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have never known. He's not stingy. 
He's not up there going like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to tell these guys. They'll never ha- they can't handle it. Now, God's not going to tell you things that you can't handle. But as you grow, you can handle more and more. Just as my kids are growing, and I can, they, can, they can handle more and more things that I can tell them. He's not up there rejoicing in the fact that we're confused about what his will is. Lord, I don't know what to do with my life. He's like, ah, <laughs> so funny. No, he's not like that. He's, he's got a posture of giving you, giving you. Ask so that you may receive. Verse 16 through 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I look at this verse and, and I read, um, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And, I, and I, I was wondering, why is that phrase just kind of dropped down in the middle of this discussion? And I was looking at this and I think that, and, and fortunately I, I tested this with the group this morning and I was like, what do you guys think? And they were kind of saying the same thing back. That always is encouraging I'd hate to stand up here and just preach a bunch of things that's wrong. So if they're like giving the same feedback, I'm like, okay, we're all right. I think that he's teaching them this, that they didn't choose him, but he chose them so that they will understand their place in the plan of God so that when they begin to bear fruit, that they don't look at themselves and be like, wow, look at all this. I'm smart. I'm good. I'm 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 rolling. I'm a man of God. I'm holy. I'm uh, I, I'm I'm just rolling with God over here, you know. And, and just starting to like think of looking down at themselves instead of looking up at God, which is the source of the fruit to begin with. But on the surface, it looks like they did choose Him. John one thirty five through thirty nine. The next day. This is way back at the beginning of John when they're coming, when, when a couple of the disciples are disciples of John. The next day, John was standing with the two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and he said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So if I was standing there and Jesus were to say, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I was one of those two disciples, I would have been like, uh, excuse me, no, I did choose you, John 1, 35 through 39. All the initiative in that passage is the disciples, it seems. It seems like Jesus seems to be a willing, passive, you know, if you want to come, you come. All the initiative is on the disciples. But he takes this opportunity to reveal this mystery so that they were to understand that the whole thing was planned and arranged by him. Everything from the beginning to the middle to the end. He created the world. He created John the Baptist. He created them. He caused them to understand and to respond to the truth that they were seeing in John the Baptist and calls them to come. And we know that somehow in the spirit, we understand this mystery. It's a mystery. It's not something that we completely can understand. It's that God did it. In the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, God did it all. It's him. He did that. 
Otherwise, these 12 men could have gloried in their own choice, in their own free will. Right? They could have said, you know, I knew it. I'm just good with prophecy. I'm good with numbers, right? You've seen that. But I'm also good at prophecy. And when I see a Messiah, I know it. Right? I saw him. I compared it to the word of God. And I... I'm just smart that way. But there's no boasting in this. When Christ says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, he takes that away from them so that they will learn humility. Because look at the rest of the verse. They were going to bear fruit and the fruit of the Spirit and the power of God and planting his church. They were going to raise the dead and heal the sick. They were going to ask God for things and God was going to actually listen. Can you imagine that? When you ask God and the and and and... And the heart of God listens to the voice of a man. That's amazing. And the point of this, I don't want to go too far in that because we're going to circle back around to this in the, in the application. Verse 17, the point is loving. He brings it all back around to the purpose because we can all get distracted. You know, isn't there some kind of choice that has to be made? Get all distracted on that. Get all distracted on the fruit and get all distracted on what that means or, uh, you know, is God really going to answer all my prayers and, and all that stuff? And that's all interesting and important. But we really miss it if we miss when he brings it all the way back around in verse 17 to the whole point is loving. It's for others. Bearing fruit is for others. It's not for us. It's for others. It's for God. So now, now that we've gone through the passage, we can look at some points of application. And I've got about four, three questions and then one statement. The first question, are you a friend of God? Am I a friend of God? Are we friends of God? He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I ask because the intimacy of our friendship comes to those who are obedient. Are we in step with the Spirit? Galatians 5.25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Or are we really about ourselves? So that when we come to a decision, and we're single, for instance, and we're like, I, I, I want to marry who I want to marry. Or we're unemployed and it's like, I, I want this job. And we're just going for it. I want to accomplish this in life. I want to go to this church and be involved in this ministry because I really like this, this, and this. And it's all about us. Are we in step with the Spirit? You are my friends if you do what I command you. So when we go back to the commands of Scripture, Right? Obey your parents is a command of scripture. Honor your father and mother is a, is, a, is a command of scripture. Don't lust. If you've lusted in your heart after somebody else, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Are you obeying those commands? The actual statements of, of Christ. Are you trying to obey those in your own strength? It's like if I focus enough, if I, if I try enough, Galatians 3, 2 through 3. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, 
Are you being perfected by the flesh? So you got saved through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are so encouraged, so full of joy, and you're reading the Bible, and you're like, whoa, my life is way off because I just got saved. Now it's time to change everything. And you, and you start to walk in your own effort. And Paul's question is this, having begun in the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh in your own willpower? If your will wasn't strong enough to save you, and you, you can't even look to your own, you can't even point back to your own will that, that saved you. Why would you then look to your own will for obedience? Right? If you didn't have the power over here to earn it by the works of the law, then how would you, why would you come over here when it comes to sanctification and growing in the Lord and look to those things that were so weak for salvation? Now you're going to try to grow in those weak things. But God wants not just to save you, but He wants to be your friend. But two people cannot walk side by side if one person's always running off, right? Because somebody's just running away. And some of us, we know we're running away from God. We know what the command is. We're not, some of us may not even be trying in the flesh. We're just running. We have to repent in the spirit and see that obedience is abiding. We get stuck in these ruts in life, and really the right the rut is just disobedience to God's commands. Question number two: Are you humble? Am I humble? Are we people of humility? Because once we get a hold of some of these things, we're going to need humility. Because there are people right now who are not bearing fruit. God's will is that they bear fruit. They're going to repent. They're going to step out in faith. And the fruit that they bear is going to be a hundredfold. God's got victories for us that we can't even imagine. And when those things happen, we're going to have to look back to this time of weakness in order to realize who we are. We are weak And we are absolutely powerless without his power working through us. Remember this time of weakness. Remember where you came from before you were saved. Remember the way it was when you were first saved. And thank God that he's working in you. Believe him for the increase of fruit. And when you see it, and I'm always... I'm always terrified of this when I'm when I'm preaching. What if God uses me? Like what if God doesn't use me? That's bad, but I'm also afraid of like what if he does use me? And all these people are blessed, and all these people come to to Christ, and all these strongholds are destroyed, and all these people go forward and they all point back to me and they say, "You know that guy, Rob Harlan, he's so gifted." I love to hear him preach. And then that somehow gets back to my ears. And what's that going to do to my heart? I don't want that. I always point to him. Because if I let that go to my head, then what's going to happen? I'm going to fall into sin. Of course I will. That's not us. It's him. Point number three. Are you asking and believing in faith? Am I? Are we, are we asking in, in belief? He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, 
he will give it to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, in the context, we have a, uh, we have to look at the context. We have to know what he really means by that, right? We have to realize that he's talking spiritually. He's talking about, he's talking about, um, if you're submitted and you're, and you're living in obedience. It's my experience that sometimes we look at the, um, we look at the context and we look at, we look at the limiting factors of asking in faith. Number one. Number two, we, we, we have to, we have to ask not amiss that we consume it on our lusts, but we have to ask His will. And we start to look at that and all that is good. I, I read a, uh, an article and it said, we don't ask God to change His mind. We ask, we pray so that He changes our hearts. Right? All that is true, but don't let all of those warnings take the teeth out of these verses so that you're paying attention to the things that might make it so that he won't answer or say no. And you're always focused on that instead of focusing on the balance of scripture, which is you ask and then you receive. Because if you, if you do that, you, this is what I, this is what I found when people teach on these passages. Faith doesn't feel good. It doesn't. It goes against the flesh. It goes against what your nature is. You want to walk by sight. You don't want to ask God and receive. You want to earn it and you want to make it happen. You want God to give you the talent so that you can do it. You don't want to just receive. And so we look at that and then we go to all the times in our life where we asked for something that God would give it to us and he said no. Or we never seem to get an answer. And then we say, see, that passage doesn't really mean ask and receive. But this isn't the only passage in Scripture. And the, the balance of Scripture, the focus of, of Scripture, is asking and receiving. I'm going to read just a couple of verses here. Matthew 18, 19. This context is everything. It's church discipline. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth any, about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 21, 22, it's the fig tree. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John fourteen thirteen. whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Context is Christ's identity. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's abiding in Christ. John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. John, 1 John 3, 22, and whatever you ask, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 1 John 5, 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. Context is confidence before God. The pattern of scripture is you ask and your heart is connected to him, abiding in him in obedience, not following the world, not following our own lust and desires for things and for comfort. We're following him. If we ask in faith, then we receive. Do you have the faith to believe that? I hope so because I believe that. 
And, and we're called to believe that. And when this, listen, this is something that constantly got on Jesus' nerves. He could not stand when people did not, I had a whole bunch of other verses, I had to cut them. I had to because we would be belabor the point, we'd just go on and we've got to get to the real point of this. Luke 18, 8 says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Do you walk in faith of these promises? Our asking a lot of times is characterized by anxiety and doubt. It's what I call sanctified worrying. Where I came to the Lord yesterday about this, and I'm going to come again today because I, he probably didn't hear me. Probably doesn't, doesn't really care. Just as the disciples, when they came to Jesus in Mark 4, uh, and the, 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 the windy sea, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they said, Lord, don't you care about us? What did he say? Do you still have no faith? Still? You can hear the exasperation. When I come back from heaven, will there be faith on the earth? Are you willing to trust God? Are you walking in trust and in faith? Are you asking in faith? Knowing that whatever he gives you is going to be the best anyway. It brings us to the last point. We were created for love. And we've got to interpret this in the context of love. Because the whole purpose of asking and receiving is to love. Right? So if I'm asking for me and my comfort, then that goes against the passage, right? But a lot of times people ask for their own comfort and God still gives them what they want. Right? I'm amazed at the goodness of God. He's so postured to give. It's for love. Verse 17, these things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. This is the radical surrender because it goes against how we're born because we're born with this fallen nature that we received from Adam and Eve when they fell. And it's all twisted around. It's all turned on its head so that when we come out of the womb, all we care about is us. And if you have kids, two, three, four, their nature as they as they develop their personality is to take, is to want more, always wanting more. And it grows up into adulthood and it's still like that. It's just covered up so that people are a little bit more courteous. But that's not what we were created for. This is my commandment in verse 12 and 13. This is bringing it all the way back. Now 17 is bringing it right back to 12 and 13. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We're to lay down our lives for our friends. It returns us to the purpose and identity to which we were created in the first place. In the Garden of Eden, God decided to make a man and then he decided to make a woman and he made them in the image of God. What is the image of God? 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we were created to function as self-forgetting Pure love machines, just loving, giving it away, giving it away, giving it away. And that's what made the garden paradise. It wasn't the beauty of Adam or Eve or the kids or the, or the creation or the sky or the moon. All that stuff was just a reflection of spiritual realities. They were, that was paradise because everybody in the garden and everybody on earth was always tripping over one another to serve everybody else and to love and appreciate someone else. That's the way 
The creation was made and it was broken by sin. And now it's all turned upside down. And from the very moment they fell into sin, they were blaming one another. And that's where we live. That's our normal everyday experience until we are transformed by Christ and obey him and are connected to him, abiding to him like a, like a branch connected to a vine. We are created to love. That's why we ask and we receive. We are created to love. That's why we bear fruit. And if we never realize that, we don't understand our own lives. We don't understand our own identity. We don't know who we are. It's like a fish coming out of the water and trying to walk. You see somebody who's been fishing. They pull a fish up and they pull the hook out of the mouth and it slips out of their hand. And the fish is flopping on the deck of the boat or wherever. It can't function. It's trying to breathe air. It's not designed for breathing air. It's trying to move around. It's not designed for moving in air on the ground. It doesn't have legs. has fins. So if you think that you're here for technological advancement, for achievement in your career, to have a happy marriage, to be comfortable, to achieve things for you, you're so confused about your identity that when... You look in the mirror, you don't even know who you are and you wonder why you feel so empty and nothing's really working. It's not working because that's not who you are. That's not who you were created to be. God is calling us to live for others so that whatever comes to you, you're giving it back. You're giving it away. It's not yours anymore. It never was yours. You don't even care anymore because of the joy of giving. Imagine if God came down right now and he said, well, Rob's wrong. Actually, their purpose is only to get saved so you don't go to hell. A lot of people, a lot of us believe that. Our purpose is to get saved so we don't go to hell. And that's it. Just fire insurance. And then we wait the rest of the time. We participate in all that the world has to offer. Capitalism, markets, entertainment, sports. And our mind is completely taken up by those things. To me, that sounds so boring. No purpose. No real eternal purpose. If it was just to survive, and I wonder though, would it even make a difference in some of our lives to realize that? You know? Are our lives bearing this fruit? Some of us, we may just be trying to survive right now. There are times where the the holiest thing you can do is just survive. But that's a season. God's true purpose for you is not to survive. It's to thrive. It's to thrive for others. And practically that looks like any time that you sacrifice what would be best for you for what would be best for others. That's what Christ was doing. If somebody asks you to do something you don't want to do it, but it would be best for them, you put aside what you're interested in your cell phone, your Facebook, your Instagram, all that nonsense. You put that aside and you help others. It doesn't have to be some big spiritual thing necessarily. Because, look, God's calling us to these huge things in the spirit realm. But how in the world is God going to trust us with spiritual things and spiritual ministries when we haven't even been faithful with the relationships that we have with our spouse and our kids? If somebody asks you for help, are you too busy? It's like, well, I'm kind of focused right now on the show I'm watching. So afterwards, I find myself sometimes saying that. I'm trying to, 
I can, I can see the Lord working in me. I can see the times where I'm just like, you know what? What am I doing? I don't find joy in these things. I find joy in helping and loving and giving. Pastor Collins sent me this verse Thursday night, Friday night. I was like, this is awesome. This is so going in the sermon. Remember that? <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I, ha- that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. That's radical surrender. I don't account my life of any value. The very basic of our nature is to preserve our life. If I remove oxygen, if I remove water, if you're drowning, you're going down, your instinct is only to survive. Somebody tries to save you, lifeguard goes down with you, you don't even care, you're just, right? But when God comes into a person's life, into a man's life or into a woman's life, that nature is starting to be transformed to the point where You don't count your life as precious to you. You're laying down your life for others, even if it goes as far as death. Would I lay down my life for my wife and my kids? If I'm walking with Christ, the answer is an emphatic yes. If if I'm walking in the flesh, the answer is no. The flesh does not give you those things. The flesh only gives you selfishness and fleshly lust for comfort. But the spirit overwhelms that. The flesh is not going to die until till the very, very end, but it's always dying and getting weaker. You resist those impulses, give the control of our lives to the spirit, and he empowers that to walk in self-sacrificial love. This is, this is as the, as, as the worship, uh, worship team comes up, I'm just going to say this. This is, this is a supernatural thing. This is not something that you can do. Ask God. He's, he's, he's postured to give you these things. He cares more about this than you do. If you're saved, this is resonating with your heart. You're like, yeah, I want that. I want that. If you're not saved, you're like, "Mm, I don't know. This is something that has to come through the Spirit. It can't come through you. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us as we ask in faith, knowing that He, He is dying to give us this. He's dying to give us this life and it's going to happen sometimes little by little and we're going to see it and the more we see it, the more we're going to become encouraged and the more we become encouraged, the more our faith will grow and the more our prayer will grow and the more we grow. That's my prayer for you guys. I pray that this is us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.